Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. Morning, everybody. Why get up, huh? I remember a French philosopher who once said, I've got so much to do today, I'm going back to bed. You ever feel that way? You just feel a little overwhelmed? Uh, I don't know. Some, something about the holiday season kind of brings that on. Have you ever thought about it? Christmas is the only holiday with a countdown. <laughs> I mean, just to add to the stress, we just got a countdown. There's only so many more days to get it all in and get it all done. Well, this series is about helping us overcome the holiday blues. So many times people experience down times during the season. I mean, I get that. Uh, maybe the loss of a loved one or the loss of something in your life, uh, that empty uh, chair at the table. I mean, we get all that. Where on one side, it's a wonderful, happy, glorious holiday. On the other side, it's kind of a, a, a solemn time and it's kind of a difficult time for people to navigate through. So we thought about doing a series where we really tried to help people get through this season of their life and experience the sounding joy. I believe with all my heart that God desires joy for those who love him, for peace for those who love him. I really believe that. And yet there's a way whereby we can connect the dots and actually experience that. And this morning, I'm gonna talk about the first step toward experiencing joy and fighting off the holiday blues. You've gotta see through it. You've gotta see through it. You have to change your perspective. Here's the reality. You won't see things as they are. You'll see things as you are. So if you're not healthy, if you're not coming from a good place, it, it will color everything you look at in life. It will change the way you see people and the way you respond to people. It will change the way you see the things that happen in your life and you respond to those things that happen in your life. So I, I hope I can challenge you a little while this morning to this idea of changing the way I look at things that I'm dealing with in my life, changing my focus, changing my perspective. Uh, it's not that reality bites, it's that my perception of reality bites. <laughs> uh, someone said two men stood behind bars, one saw mud, the other saw stars. So it's a matter of perception, it is a matter of focus, it is the matter of what you're looking at. And one of the verses that we were using and thinking about as we were preparing the series is in John chapter 16 and verse 20. And the interpretation of the verse, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his going to the cross. And he was saying to them that on this side of the cross, uh, you're going to sorrow and weep while the world rejoices. But he said, eventually your sorrow will be turned into joy. Now what he was telling them is, you're on this side of a bad experience, you're on this side of the cross, but when you get on the other side of the cross and you experience Easter in the, the empty tomb, then the very thing that brought you sorrow will be the very thing that brings you joy. And so the principle of the verse that we're applying, the principle is this, that the things that have brought us sorrow, God can use those things to bring us joy. There's a way he can bring beauty from ashes. There's a way that he can take the brokenness of anyone's life and the brokenness of anyone's heart and make something remarkable out of it. I really believe Romans 8.28 is true. Oh, I believe all of it's true, but especially Romans 8, 28. <laughs> correct that right quick. But where he says, all things, all things work together for good. Now, he didn't say all things are good. 
Sometimes people misread that. He didn't say everything. I wouldn't ever stand before you and say everything's good. A lot of my life is not good. A lot of the things I've gone through is not good. I wouldn't describe the loss of Cindy as good. I wouldn't describe the loss of, of, of a lot of things that we go through as, as good. So I can't say all things are good, but that's not what the Bible said. He said God has a way of working all things together for good. The happy and the sad, the good and the bad, the bitter and the sweet. At the holidays time, you know, a lot of you have been cooking and a lot of you, uh, somebody asked me if I remember to turn my uh, scale back 10 pounds and I don't think I did. But the point is a lot of you have been preparing for the holiday. And I remember my grandmother, she was one of those old school cookers, cooks that, that didn't cook uh, or, or didn't uh, use a recipe, right? She just went off of memory. She'd just go get ingredients and put it all together. And I remember one time Cindy was trying to capture what she was cooking and Cindy would ask her, she said, oh, well, how much of that did you just put in there? And she said, a pinch, a pinch. She said, well, what about that? I saw you put that in there. She said, I just threw a little dab of that in there, a pinch and a dab. That was her measurement. <laughs> Some of you may cook like that. Some of your grandmas cook like that, a pinch and a dab. And here's what she told Cindy. This is really profound. She said, look, honey, she said, you just put a pinch and a dab of these things in there until it tastes right. And she said, you just keep tasting it until it tastes right. And I remember a lot of times my grandmother didn't really eat a lot when we sat down because she ate all the time she was cooking. <laughs> a pinch and a dab. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, God oftentimes puts the pinches and the dabs in our life and he's waiting for it to look right. He's waiting for it to, to be right. All things work together for good. Things are coming together, the, the bitter and the sweet, all of those elements in life are coming together. God is making something, he's doing something. And God has a way in the midst of this process of preparing, he has a way of transforming us and a lot of it is tied to how I see his work in my life. Let me give you the kind of the go-to verse this morning and before we go home, it's Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19. In Ephesians 1, verses 18 to 19, Paul is praying for these followers of Christ in the city of Ephesus. And here's what he's praying for them. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened. Let me stop long enough there to say, he didn't pray that their circumstance might change. Now, what we know from church history is these people were feeling the oppression of, of, of Caesar, uh, the tyrant. They were feeling the oppression of Rome as they were trying to kill the influence of the Christian church in that day. And so they were hiding, they were persecuted, they were stressed and oppressed, depressed, no doubt. And they were going through this difficult time. But it was interesting when I looked at the prayer of Paul, what he didn't pray about. He didn't pray that their circumstance change. Now, I don't know about you, man. When I go through a hard time, I pray that my circumstance will change. You know, God, get this away from me. Get me out of this. Help my, you know, help a brother. <laughs> I pray for my circumstance. But he's not praying about that. Instead, he's praying that they will change. It's back to kind of the premise of my talk this morning. It's the idea that God did not die for our circumstance. He died for us. And God will use our circumstances to change us. Everything we experience in life, it has an effect on us. Everything we go through in life has an effect on us, and God is working those things, a divine design, if you will. He is working those elements out for our good and for his glory. And so Paul said, look, here's what I pray happens to you. I hope you change your perspective. 
I, I pray that the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of your heart be enlightened. You see, it's not eyesight that's as important as insight. Sometimes your eyesight, you can't see how to navigate through a, maybe a business decision, or you can't see how to navigate through a relational issue, or you can't see how to navigate through some stress in your life. So when you can't rely on your eyesight, you rely on your insight. That's where your faith kicks in. And that was the thing Paul realized they were missing. They were seeing things out here happening around them and they weren't understanding what was going on. And Paul said, you've lost touch with your faith. You've lost touch with that sense of insight to know God is working this thing out. Reminds me of the story in 2 Kings uh, 6 where Elisha and one of his young protégés were surrounded by the Syrian king. And the Syrian king was going to take Elisha captive. And this young associate protege of Elisha was looking at him like, aren't you stressed? And he goes, no, I'm not. And he says, well, why aren't you stressed? And he said, because there are more of us than there are of them. And the young man, when you read the narrative, it's really interesting in 2 Kings 6, he's kind of puzzled at that response. He's like, am I missing something here? There's me and you. There's, there's barely a we. I mean, and we are surrounded by the Syrian king and the army, and here's what happens. Elisha prays that, listen, God will open the eyes of this young man so that he can see what Elisha sees. And God responded, and he opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw a host of the Lord's army that was surrounding the Syrian army, and he realized there's more of us than there are of them. What changed his outlook? What changed his outlook was his uplook. And when he realized God can give you through eyes of faith an ability to see things differently than you've ever seen before, it can change your whole life. Instead of despair and despondency and depression, you can have joy and you can have peace because you realize God is working this thing out. And I know because I've seen some things in my heart that are true and I rely on my faith. So he said, I pray the eyes of your heart be enlightened Notice three things, that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I want you to have hope. Man, if you live life without hope, you will be despondent. So he says, one of the things insight gives you is hope. It gives you a sense of future. Secondly, that you will uh, know the riches of his inheritance, of his holy people, that you'll realize God has gifted you with an inheritance. You have a, a possession to possess. I'll explain that. And then thirdly, you'll experience his great power. So here are three things he said will happen when the eyes of your heart are enlightened, regardless of what you're going through, <laughs> regardless of the Syrian army that might be surrounding you this morning, regardless of the heartache of the heartbreak that you might be navigating through, if you can get the eyes of your heart open, here are three things you will absolutely see that will bring you incredible joy. Number one, you'll see God's purpose. Remember it said, I just read it, you'll see the hope for which he has called you. God has a purpose for your life. In fact, I believe that so strongly. It's one of the things that God really impressed on my heart when Cindy went to heaven was the idea that we are here as long as God has a purpose for us being here. And a child of God will not be on this planet one moment longer than God's purpose for them being here. Not one moment. 
The moment God's plan and the moment his purpose for a child of God on this earth, one of his kids being here, the moment that mission is accomplished, they step from the temporal into the eternal. They're absent from the body and they are present with their Lord and they're home forevermore. Ecclesiastes 3, the writer says, to everything there's a season. Life is seasonal. Good seasons and hard seasons, seasons of planting and plowing and seasons of fertilizing (laughs) and seasons of reaping. Life is seasonal. To everything there's a season. And then he said, and then there is a time to every purpose under heaven. God connects time to purpose. Meaning that as long as I have purpose, he'll give me time. And so the whole idea that I'm driving at is you and I are here today because God has purpose. And in that purpose is this word hope. God's not finished with you yet. He still has something for you to do. There's still a reason for you being here on the earth. Even though you're still trying to connect dots and you're still trying to navigate through the hard times of life, you have to to strengthen your trust in your creator. One of my life verses is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. It didn't say understand the Lord. It said trust. Because there's a lot of things you don't understand and there's a lot of things about God you won't agree with. So what you do is you simply learn to trust in him. I've shared that with you before. There's a lot of the experiences as Cindy was preparing to go to heaven that I didn't understand. There's a lot of things that happened when she went to heaven that I didn't understand. And what I had to remind myself time and still have to tell myself to do this time and time again to keep joy in my life is to gather the things up that you don't understand and bring them to the foot of the Savior and say, God, listen, I choose to trust you. I choose to do that. Not everybody does. I choose to. Trust in the Lord. How? With all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, he says. Now, that, he didn't say not to have understanding. You know, it's that be careful leaning too heavily on your own understanding. You know why? Because we don't have all the facts. You see, we're all ignorant just on different subjects. <laughs> I don't know everything. You don't know everything. And when I'm depending totally on that which I understand and I'm leaning too heavily on that which I understand, I don't have all the facts. I don't know what God's doing. I understand him. I trust him. I don't understand him. So I have to be careful leaning too heavily into my understanding. Let me show you why that's dangerous. There was a time in our country when medical science thought that when a person was sick, the way you cured them was you bled them. Uh, They thought it was just something wrong with the blood. They knew the body would regenerate blood, so they would bleed you. And there became places throughout cities where you could go to be bled. Now, these cities, these places were marked by a candy stripe pole. You see them outside of barber shops, and they'll still bleed you there if you go to the wrong one. But the point is, the point is, you would go there, that was symbolic, or, 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 or uh, yeah, I can't get the word there. But anyway, it's, it, it said, this is where you go to get bled. It'll come to me after, after I get home later, and I go, wish I remember that word. But anyway, you'd go there to get bled. In fact, some historians believe that George Washington actually died. He was anemic, and they believe that they bled him too much. Okay, fast forward to our year. Can you imagine going to the doctor tomorrow? Dr. Burke is here. We have some other medical folks And can you imagine the doctor saying, we need to bleed you a little bit. (laughs) We're just going to bleed you a little bit. I mean, there's not a person in the room that would go, that's a great way to treat this problem. I I think I just need to be bled a little bit. But that's what they thought. 
The point is that was their understanding at the time. Medical science have advanced and we understand differently now, thank God. And we've, we've found so many wonderful things uh, through scientific discovery. So I'm just suggesting to you that at one point in our history, we thought that was how you treated people who were ill. So he says, don't lean too heavily on your own understanding because you don't have all the facts. And then he went on to say, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, in all your ways acknowledge him, and when you do that, he will direct your path. And the idea of directing the path in the Hebrew, it carries with the idea of like going and navigating through a jungle and having someone walk in front of you with a machete to clear the path. Uh, it, it's the idea when the Bible says he is a buckler, the old King James uh, language in the, in the psalmist, he's a buckler to them who trust him. A buckler in the Hebrew idea was the same thing of something going before. It was the idea of a cattle catch in front of an old steam engine. You remember that, the old steam engine? And what it would do is if it, there was an animal on the track, the cattle catch would hit the animal, move it off of the track so the train didn't get derailed. Now put all that together. The imagery the writer of Hebrews is, he didn't have steam engines in his mind, but the imagery he was driving at is the fact God goes before those who trust him with all their heart and he clears the trail. He clears the path. He moves things out of the way that could derail us and take us off the track. He, de he removes the things in our life that could move us off course. So yes, we trust him. We put our whole faith and we say to him, God, with all that I am and all that I have, I trust you with all my heart. So one of the things that happens when your eyes of your heart is open, you begin to see his purpose. And the beautiful thing of seeing God's purpose is you begin to understand what he's created you to do. The Bible says you are fearfully and wonderfully made and God doesn't make junk. And it's important that you not only see purpose, but you begin to walk in your purpose and you kind of stay in that lane because when you're fulfilling purpose, it's the most enjoyable and fulfilling aspect of life is to be in the zone where you know you're doing what God designed you to do. See, if you understand that a lawnmower is designed to cut grass, you don't try to use it as a, as a ceiling fan. Everybody has a design. Everybody fits somewhere. And once you are saying to God, open the eyes of my heart, help me to see my purpose and know what you're doing in and through my life, it brings you hope. Secondly, he said, not only do you see purpose, but you see his provision. You see that in that next phrase, to see the riches of his glorious inheritance, and notice this phrasing, in you. God has placed his inheritance in us, in his kids. What does that mean? That means God has given you and gifted you with everything you need to do the thing he's designed you to do. Never say, if I just had this guy's talent or if I could do what she does or you know, if I just had their personality. No, don't, don't, don't fall into that trap. You insult your maker. God has uniquely qualified you, gifted you, enabled you to do everything he's placed you on this planet to do. He's equipped you, he's enabled you, and he will empower you to do the thing he's called you to do. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all my needs, everything I need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Friend, God has a plan for your life, he has a purpose for your life, and with that purpose, he provides what you need to fulfill that purpose. He wouldn't call you to do something and then not equip you to do it. I mean, you, you wouldn't expect your child over in the kids' area or some of the kids in this room, you wouldn't expect them to do beyond what is their maturity and their skill level. Well, God's not expecting that of his kids either. All that does is make uh, create frustration. 
So if God's called you to do something, he will equip you in order for you to do it. And when your eyes get open, the eyes of your heart get open, you begin to see, wow, God does have something for me to do. And God has gifted me to do the something that he has called me to do. Here's the third thought. Not only does it help you see purpose and provision, but thirdly, it'll help you see his power. That last line I read, you see the great power that is at work within you. Two chapters over from this text that we used this morning, Ephesians 3.20, here's what Paul said. Now to him who is able, who he's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, and he does that according to the power that is at work within us. Paul said, man, I want you people to know that when the eyes of your heart are enlightened and you see his purpose and his provision, you realize that his power is there. It's beyond anything that you can imagine. God is able. Listen, there's nothing he can't do. I told you before, there's no burden he can't lift. You aren't carrying something today that God can't handle. Now, we'll tell you what I found out with Cindy's home going. I found out this principle that I had talked about it, but I'd never experienced it. And that is when you carry a burden, when I carry a burden that's heavy, we obviously pray that the burden will be lifted. And God can. God can heal. He can do. There's nothing he can't do. But here's what I found. Maybe this will help you. I found in my life, God will do one of two things when you carry a burden. He will either lift that burden off of you, and he can do that, or he'll give you the strength to carry it. He'll either take it away or he'll give you the ability to carry it. And sometimes God saves his heaviest burdens for his strongest kids. So I'm just suggesting your heart this morning, there's nothing he can't do. I mean, he said, he said can I not build a table in the wilderness? In fact, he asked uh, several times rhetorically in Scripture, he said, is there anything too hard for me? I mean, ask big things, and I'll, I can do them. So there's no burden he can't lift. Think about this. There's no problem he can't solve. Now, there's problems we can't solve. We face them all the time. My goodness, you ever get into something you felt like you outpunted your coverage? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're wondering, what in the world? How did I get into this? And all of a sudden, you realize, yeah, it's too big for me, but it's not too big for him. There's no problem he can't solve. You've never brought something to God and had him scratch his head and look at you and say, I'll have to get back with you. I don't know about that one. That's pretty big. Never has happened. God, listen, God has a way, he has a path, he has a plan. Corey Ten Boom says there's no panic in heaven, only plans. Think about it. So there's no burden he can't lift. There's no problem he can't solve. Let me give you this one. There's no sin he can't forgive. I don't care what you've done. There's no sin. You haven't done, you haven't committed a sin he cannot or will not forgive. Listen, somebody says, well, what about the unpardonable sin? I'll tell you what that is. The unpardonable sin is to die never trusting Jesus as your Savior. The Bible refers to that as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, why? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he will not speak of himself, he'll speak of me. The Holy Spirit introduces us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convinces, convicts, and converts. He brings us to Jesus. He takes us by the hand, by faith, leads us to the cross, and says, this is what Jesus did for you. Will you receive him as Savior? And the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us to Jesus. So when I reject the work of the Holy Spirit and I die in that condition, I blasphemed his work. 
In fact, the Bible says it's as though you have trampled under your feet the blood of Jesus. And he uses that word picture of walking past the cross and seeing Jesus as he bled out on the cross and walking through his blood indifferent and apathetic, saying it means nothing to me. And God says, if a person dies rejecting my son and dies with that on their soul, that is the one sin he said, I will not forgive, the sin of unbelief. But can I tell you, once you've stepped through the threshold and you've received Jesus as Savior, the sins of your past, the sins of your present, and by the way, the sins of your future. Because when you think about it, every sin, when Jesus died on the cross, every one of our sins were in the future. We weren't around yet. <laughs> so every sin that we've committed was out there in the future. So for me now to think in 2021 that, wow, I could do something going forward that he won't forgive, well, it's an insult to the work of Jesus. He'd have to come and die again and say, okay, now from this point forward, okay, I'm going to die again from this point forward. No, the Bible says in Hebrews, once and for all, he offered the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices for sin. So I'm suggesting to your heart, man, when you step through that threshold and you've received Jesus as Savior, keep a short account. And understand that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what sin in the life of a Christian does, it doesn't affect our relationship to God, it affects our fellowship with God. Relationship is permanent and established. He's your father, he's my father, we're his children. That's relationship. No matter what your child does, they could never deny you. They could never deny their DNA. They could change their name, relocate, and have nothing to do with you, but they still are who they are. And the Bible says in Timothy, though we deny him, he cannot deny himself. He can't deny himself. We have the imputed righteousness of Jesus within us, and that relationship is established. And the Bible says in Ephesians, he says we are good to the day of redemption to the day he calls us home. So I'm suggesting to you that what happens when we do sin is it affects our fellowship. For a little while, he just says, talk to the hand, <laughs> loosely translated there. And all of a sudden, we have to confess and say, Lord, I blew it, I'm sorry. You know what confession is, by the way? Agreement, that's all it means. Sounds a little Christianese, doesn't it, when you talk about confession. But all it means is agreement. Here's what you do when you confess. You say, God, you were right, I'm wrong. Just like you do in a marriage. Right, fellas? <laughs> You're right. I was wrong. Well, that's, that's how it works with your relationship with God. You're right. I was wrong. And you confess. And the Bible says that the fellowship then is restored. So what happens when, you're, when your insight kicks in? You see purpose, provision, and you see power. It'll change your life. Let me give you this and we'll go home. One of the most powerful illustrations of what I'm talking about on perception is seen in 1 Samuel 17. You remember when young David went and faced Goliath, the giant of the Bible? You remember when he faced Goliath, all of his brothers were hiding in the rocks. They were fearful, except David. And what happened was, when you really read the story and you think about it, is their perception. The brothers and all the army were seeing how much bigger Goliath was than they were. That's how we look at life. We see how much bigger our problems are than we are. You get overwhelmed. You hide. You don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> you just want to get up, right? You just stay where you are because you're seeing how much bigger that is than you are. But man, something happens. It happened in the heart of David. David didn't see how much bigger Goliath was than he was. Listen, David saw how much smaller Goliath was than God is. 
He said, there's nothing you can't do. And here was the prayer of David. He says, God, I want to take this giant out so that all the world will know that there's a God in Israel. You know why God answered his prayer? Because his motive was, God, it's all about you. It's not about me. He didn't say, I want to spike the ball so everybody will think, oh, I'm... now David is known. King David, star of David, he's famous. God made him famous, but he didn't seek fame. You know what he did? He sought to make God famous. And in making God famous, God made him famous. <laughs> See how that works? Those who will abase him, will he be exalted? Humble yourself and the Lord will... David said, God, I want the world to know you're, you're the real deal. These guys' eyes aren't open. I want them to see who you are. And when they see who you are, they'll believe in you. And God answered his prayer and he took the giant down. And his whole world forever was changed. So guys, I don't know what you're navigating through, but I can tell you, please hear from personal experience, one of the ways that will help you fight off the blues, the holiday heaviness, is when you can have some insight and know God has a purpose. He has a provision. He has power. He does all things well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. As Isaiah said, it never returns void, never comes back empty. Your word always goes out and connects. It always makes a difference. So Father, I, I pray for those in the room and all of those watching online, wherever they are in our world. I pray that they will have received something from worship or something from the study of your word that might impact them in some way. We're preparing now just to break out of this big old holy huddle and go back out into the real world. So Lord, I, I pray we'll take something from this that we can apply to our life that will help us change how we see things this week. Help us, Lord, to understand you have a plan, you have a purpose. Help us to trust you. And finally, Lord, if there's one in the room or one watching who may have never come to terms with their faith, there might have never been a moment where they just stopped long enough to humble their heart and connect with their creator. I pray you'll impress upon them the fact that you brought them here by a design. It's no accident they're in this room or no accident that they're watching. You've just used this voice box and this building and these people to communicate your love for them. So right where they are in this moment, I pray they'll just kind of swallow the pride and humble their heart and pray this simple prayer. And just pray this, Lord Jesus, with everything I know about me, I now trust everything I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.